0: Chapter 13, Part 1 of Love Among the Artists by George Bernard Shaw This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter 13, Part 1 Next day, in the afternoon, Jack left the room, the establishment of a celebrated firm of pianoforte manufacturers where he gave his lessons, and walked homeward across Hyde Park, here he saw approaching him a woman, dressed in light peacock blue, with a pale maize-colored scarf on her neck and shoulders, and a large Spanish hat. Jack stood still and looked gloomily at her. She put on a pair of eyeglasses, scrutinized him for a moment, and immediately shook them off her nose and stopped. You have finished work early today, she said, smiling. I have not finished it, he replied. I have put them off. I want to go home and work. I cannot spend my life making money, not that I am likely to have the chance. Four lessons, five guineas, lost. You wrote to them, I hope? No. They will find out that I am not there when they call, and then they can teach themselves or go to the devil. They would put me off sooner than lose a tennis party. I will put them off sooner than lose a good afternoon's work. I am losing my old independence over this money-making and society business. I don't like it. No matter. Are you on your way to Cavendish Square? Yes, but you must not turn back. You did not sacrifice your teaching to gad about the park with me. You want to compose, I know by your face. Are you in a hurry? I am not, but... Then come and gad about, as you call it, for a while. It is too fine a day to go indoors and grind tunes. She turned and they strolled away across the plain between the Serpentine and the Bayswater Road crossing a vacant expanse of sward or picking their way amongst idlers who lay prone on the grass asleep or bask supine in the sun it was a warm afternoon and the sky was cloudless you would not suppose seeing the world look so pleasant that it is such a rascally place as it is said jack when they had walked for some time in silence it is not so very bad though after all if you were a little of a painter as i am this sunlit sward and foliage would repay you for all the stupidities of people who have eyes but cannot use them i and painters suppose that there are is an ennobling one suppose i held up a lying treacherous cruel woman to the admiration of a painter and reviled him as unimaginative if he would not accept her blue eyes and silky hair and fine figure as a compensation for her corrupt heart he would call me names cynical sensualist and so forth what better is he with his boasted loveliness of nature? There are moments when I should like to see a good hissing, scorching shower of brimstone sear all the beauty out of her false face. Oh, what is the matter today? Spleen because I am poor. It is the source of most people's complaints. But you are not poor. Recollect that you have just thrown away five guineas and that you will make ten tomorrow. I know. Well well are guineas wealth to a man who wants time and freedom from base people and base thoughts no i have starved out the first half of my life alone i will fight through the second half on the same conditions i get ten guineas a day at present for teaching female apes to scream that they may be the better qualified for the marriage market that is because i am the fashion how long shall i remain the fashion until august when the world as it calls itself will emigrate and return next spring to make the fortune of the next lucky charlatan who makes a bid for my place i shall be glad to be rid of them in spite of their guineas teaching them wastes my time and does them no good then there is the profit on my compositions of which i get five per cent perhaps in money with all the honour and glory the rest goes into the pockets of publishers and concert givers some of whom will go down halfway to posterity on my back because they have given me for a symphony with the fruits of twenty years hard work in it about one-fifth of what is given for a trumpery picture or novel every day that fantasia of mine has been pirated and played in every musical capital in europe and i could not afford to buy you a sable jacket out of what i have made by it it is very hard certainly but do you really care about money <laughs> no of course not music is its own reward composers are not human they can live on diminished sevenths and be contented with a pianoforte for a wife and a string quartet for a family come he added boisterously enough of grumbling when i took to composing i knew i was bringing my pigs to a bad market but don't pretend to believe that a composer can satisfy either his appetite or his affections with music any more than a butcher or a baker can i dare say i shall live all the more quietly for being an old bachelor i never dreamt that you would care to marry and who tells you that i would now i thought you were regretting your enforced celibacy she replied laughing he frowned and she became serious somehow she added i cannot fancy you as a married man why he said turning angrily upon her am i a fish or a musical box why have i less right to the common ties of social life than another man of course you have as much right she said surprised that her remark should have hurt him but i have known you so long as you are at present what am i at present a sort of inspired hermit she replied undaunted it seems as if marriage would be an impossible condescension on your part that is only a fancy i know if you could find any woman worthy of you and able to make you happy i think you ought to marry i should be delighted to see you surrounded by a pack of naughty children "'You would never be an ogre any more then.' Do "'You think I am an ogre then, eh?' "'Sometimes. Today, for instance, I think you are decidedly ogreish. "'I hope I am not annoying you with my frivolity. I am unusually frivolous today.' "'Hm. You seem to me to be speaking to the point pretty forcibly. "'So you would like to see me married?' "'Happily married, yes.' i should be glad to think that your lonely gloomy lodging was changed for a cheerful hearth and that you had some person to take care of your domestic arrangements which you are quite unfit to manage for yourself now that you have suggested the idea it grows on me rapidly may i set to work to find a wife for you of course it does not occur to you he said with unabated ill-humour that i may have chosen for myself already that i might actually have some sentimental bias in the business for instance mary much puzzled put on her spectacles and tried to find from his expression whether he was serious or joking failing she laughed and said i don't believe you ever gave the matter a thought just so i am a privileged mortal without heart or pockets when you wake up and clap your hands after the coda of mr jack's symphony you have ministered to all his wants and can keep the rest to yourself love money and all she could no longer doubt that he was in earnest his tone touched her i had no idea she began will you tell me who it is or am i not to ask he grinned in spite of himself what do you think of mrs simpson said he mary's mood had taken so grave a turn that she was for a moment unable to follow this relapse into banter but she said looking shocked mr simpson is alive hence my unhappiness said jack with a snarl disgusted at her entertaining his suggestion i suppose she said slowly after a pause of some moments that you mean to make me feel that i have no business with your private affairs i did not mean you suppose nothing of the sort said he losing his temper when have i concealed any of my affairs from you then you do not really intend to i mean the person you said you were in love with is a myth sure. I never said I was in love with anyone. I might have known as much if I had thought for a moment. I am very dull sometimes. This speech did not satisfy Jack. What do you mean by that, he said testily? Why might you have known? I never said I was in love, certainly. Have I said I was not in love? Come, she said gaily. You shall not play shuttlecock with my brains any longer. Answer me plainly. Are you in love? I tell such things as that to sincere friends only. Mary suddenly ceased to smile and made no reply. Well, if you are my friend, what the devil do you see in my affairs to laugh at? You can be serious enough with other people. I did not mean to laugh at your affairs. What are you angry about? I am not angry. A moment ago you reproached me because I thought you wished to repel my curiosity. The reproach seemed to me to imply that you considered me a friend worthy of your confidence. So I do and now you tell me that i am an insincere friend i never said anything of the kind you implied it however there is no reason why you should tell me anything unless you wish to i do not complain of course your affairs are your affairs and not mine but i do not like to be accused of insincerity i have always been as sincere with you as i know how to be for the next minute jack walked on in silence with his hands clasped behind him and his head bent towards the ground they were crossing a treeless part of the park, unoccupied save by a few sooty sheep. The afternoon sun had driven the loiterers into the shade, and there was no sound except a distant rattle of traffic from the north and an occasional oar splash from the south. Jack stopped and said without looking up, Tell me this. Is all that business between you and Herbert broken off and done with? Completely. Then listen to me, he said. Taking an attitude in which she had seen him once or twice before when he had been illustrating his method of teaching elocution. I am not a man to play the part of a lover with Grace. Nature gave me a rough frame that I might contend the better with a rough fortune. Nevertheless, I have a heart and affections like other men, and those affections have centered themselves on you. Mary blanched and looked at him in terror. You are accustomed to my ardent temper but I do not intend that you shall suffer from bad habits of mine, engendered by a life of solitude and the long deferring of my access through my music to my fellow-creatures. No, I am aware of my failings and shall correct them. You know my position, and so I shall make no boast of it. You may think me incapable of tenderness, but I am not. You will never have to complain that your husband does not love you. He paused and looked at Mary's face she had never had a thought of marrying jack now that he had asked her to do so she felt that refusal would cause a wound she dared not inflict she must sacrifice herself to his demand to fill the empty place in jack's heart seemed to her a duty laid on her she summoned all her courage and endurance to say yes and consoled herself with the thought that she should not live long meanwhile jack was reading her face i have committed my last folly he said in a stirring voice, but without any of his habitual abruptness. Henceforth I shall devote myself to the only mistress I am fitted for, music. She has not many such masters. Mary, yielding to an extraordinary emotion, burst into tears. Come, he said, it is all over. I did not mean to frighten you. I have broken with the world now, and my mind is the clearer and the easier for it. Why need you cry? She recovered herself trying to find something to say to him in her disquietude she began to speak before her agitation had subsided it is not she said with difficulty that i am ungrateful or insensible but you do not know how far you stand beyond other yes yes he said soothingly i understand you are right i have no business in the domestic world and must stick to music and mrs simpson to the end of the chapter come along and think no more of it i will put you into a cab and send you home she turned with him and they went together towards the marble arch he no longer moody but placid and benevolent she disturbed silent and afraid to meet his gaze it was growing late one of the religious congregations which hold their summer meetings in the park had assembled and their hymn could be heard softened by distance jack hummed a bass to the tune and looked along the line of trees that shut out the windows of park lane and led away to the singular equestrian statue which then stood at hyde park corner this is a pretty place after all he said there is enough blue sky and green sward here to compensate for a good deal of brick and mortar down there in the hollow there is silver water with white swans on it i wonder how the swans keep themselves white the sheep can't yes it is an exquisite day said mary trying hard to interest herself in the scene and to speak steadily there will be a fine sunset there is a good view of the duke of wellington here happily i cannot see so far but i can imagine the monster swimming sooty in the ether leave him in peace said jack he is the only good statue in london that is why no one has the courage to say a word in his defence his horse is like a real horse with real harness he is not exposed bareheaded to the weather but wears a hat as any other man in the street does. He is not a stupid imitation of an antique bas-relief. He is characteristic of the century that made him, and he is unique, as a work of art should be. He is picturesque, too. The... Come, come, Miss Mary. You have no more cause to be unhappy than those children tumbling over the fence there. What are those tears for? Not because I am unhappy, she replied in a broken voice. Perhaps because I have such reason to be proud. Pray do not mind me, I cannot help it. They were now close to the marble arch, and Jack hurried on, that she might the sooner escape the staring of the loungers there. Outside he called a cab and assisted her to enter. You will never be afraid of me any more, I hope, he said, pressing her hand. She attempted to speak, gulped down a sob and nodded and smiled as gaily as she could, her tears falling meanwhile. He watched the cab until it was no longer distinguishable among the crowd of vehicles in Oxford Street, and then re-entered the park and turned to the west, which was now beginning to glow with the fire of evening. When he reached the bridge beneath which the serpentine of Hyde Park is supposed to become the long water of Kensington Gardens, he stopped to see the sun set behind the steeple of Bayswater Church, and to admire the clear depths of hazel green in the pools underneath the foliage on the left bank i hanker for a wife he said as he stood bolt upright with his knuckles resting lightly on the parapet and the ruddy gold of the sun full in his eyes i grovel after money what dog's appetites have this worldly crew infected me with no matter i am free i am myself again back to thy holy garret o my soul and having stared the sunset out of countenance which is soon done by a man old enough to have hackneyed the sentimentality it inspires he walked steadfastly away his mood becoming still more tranquil as the evening fell darker on reaching church street he called for mrs simpson gave her a number of postage stamps which he had just purchased and ordered her to write in his name to all his pupils postponing their lessons until he should write to them again being an indifferent speller and a slovenly writer she grumbled that he was risking his income by treating his pupils so cavalierly. It was his custom to meet her remonstrances even when he acted on them with oaths and abuse. This evening he let her say what she wished, meanwhile arranging his table to write at. His patience was so far from appeasing her that she at last ventured to say that she would not write his letters and turn good money away. "'You will do as you are told,' he said, "'for the devils also believe and tremble.' and with that explanation he bade her make him some coffee and put her out of the room. Whilst Mary was being driven home from the park, she was for some time afraid that she must succumb publicly to a fit of hysterics. But after a few painful minutes her throat relaxed, a feeling of oppression at her chest ceased, and when the cab stopped at Mr. Phipson's house, she was able to offer the fare composedly to the driver, who refused it, saying that the gentleman had paid it in advance she then went upstairs to her own room to weep when she arrived there however she found that she had no more tears to shed she went to the mirror and stood motionless before it it showed her a face expressing deep grief she looked pityingly at it and it looked back at her with intensified dolor this lasted for more than a minute during which she conveyed such a profundity of sadness into her face that she had no attention to spare for the lightning of her heart which was proceeding rapidly meanwhile. Then her nostrils gave a sudden twitch. She burst out laughing, and the self-reproach, which followed this outrage on sentiment, did not prevent her from immediately laughing all the more. After all, she said, seizing a jug of cold water and emptying it with a splash into a basin, it is not more ridiculous to laugh at nothing than to look miserable about it so she washed away the traces her tears had left and went down to dinner as gaily as usual a fortnight elapsed during which she heard nothing of jack and sometimes thought that she had done better when she had cried at his declaration than when she had laughed at her own emotion then one evening mr phipson announced that the ancient orpheus society were about to make an important acquisition one said he looking at mary that will specially interest you something by old jack said charlie who was dining there that day a masterpiece by him i hope said mr phipson he has written to say that he has composed music to the prometheus unbound of shelley four scenes with chorus a dialogue of prometheus with the earth an antiphony of the earth and moon an overture and a race of the hours shelley exclaimed mary incredulously i should have thought that dr johnson was the proper poet for jack said charlie it is a magnificent subject continued mr phipson and if he has done justice to it the work will be the crowning musical achievement of this century i have no doubt whatever that he has succeeded for he says himself that his music is the complement of the poetry and fully worthy of it he would never venture to say so if he were not conscious of having done something almost stupendous modesty never was one of his failings remarked charlie i feel convinced that the music will be will be said mr phipson waving his hand and seeking an expressive word will be something apocalyptic if i may use the term we have agreed to offer him five hundred pounds for the copyright with the exclusive privilege of performance in the british isles and we have reason to believe that he will accept this offer considering that the music will doubtless be very difficult and will involve the expense of a chorus and an enlarged band with several rehearsals it is a fairly liberal offer mclagan objected of course and some of the others suggested three hundred and fifty but i insisted on five hundred we could not decently offer less besides the modern orpheus will try to snatch the work from us the overture is actually in the hands of the copyist and the rest will be complete in a month at latest certainly you must have more money than you know what to do with if you are going to pay five hundred pounds for a thing you have never seen said mrs phipson we shall pay it without the least mistrust said mr phipson pompously jack is a great composer one whose rugged exterior conceals a wonderful gift as a pearl is protected by an oyster shell but he cannot possibly have composed the whole work in a fortnight said mary of course not what makes you suggest a fortnight nothing said mary at least i heard that he had given no lessons during the past fortnight he has been planning it for a long time you may depend upon it still there are instances of extraordinary expedition in musical composition the messiah was completed by handel in twenty-one days and mozart mr phipson went on to relate anecdotes of overtures and whole acts added to operas in one night he was a diligent concert-goer and always read the analytical programmes carefully so that he had a fund of such tales more or less authentic to relate mary who had heard most of them before looked attentive and let her thoughts wander end of chapter thirteen part one recording by expatriate in bangor maine